Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to healthcare. Hello and welcome to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. That would be me. I'm Jim Morrow. I'm a family physician and Coming in Milton, Georgia, we've got two locations. I'm with Village Medical, what in the past was Mara Family Medicine, and we're so excited now to be a part of a national, nationwide practice that really uh, is doing an incredible job taking care of people, especially if you are older, if you've been in the hospital, if you need care at home, just got a lot of services that Village Medical can offer you. And I appreciate every single time, everyone, whoever might listen into the podcast, tune in whenever you can. That's what I love about podcasts. Doesn't matter when it's done, you can listen to it anytime you want to. So look at all the other podcasts that we've got on whatever app you're listening to. Be sure and hit the subscribe button. If there's a thumbs up button or a like button, it'd be awesome if you hit that as well. My producer, John Ray, keeps telling me that kind of thing is important. John is currently in his very lavish studio at Renaissance Bank in Alpharetta, Georgia, and I'm in my office studio, much less lavish and much more cluttered. But John, how you doing? I'm great. Uh, I hope you're doing well. And I'm just curious, why is wherever I am, you say it's lavish, and wherever you are, you say it's less less than lavish. I mean, you're the one that's got the refrigerator behind you, not me. I do, in fact, have a refrigerator behind me. <clears throat> and a whole bunch of papers skewed all over the place and a bunch of other mess. So thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate it. Well, I if just you wanted to our... on YouTube. People actually be able to see that stuff. So well, I clean it up. Well, I'm going to have to do that just so people can see that you're not living like, you know, in some hand to mouth kind of location that some, you, yeah, I'm in a hut doing yeah. my <laughs> podcast, from some, right. some hut somewhere else. Exactly right. <laughs> So again, I do appreciate people listening. This is episode 68 of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow, and I'm excited to be able to keep doing this. I'm excited that I can keep thinking of things to talk about. Um, my producer, John Ray, has been absolutely no help in that regard lately, and uh, I'm just I'm trying to keep things going. So if you have topic ideas, please, the easiest thing you do probably is to email those to toyourhealthmd at gmail.com. And I'd love to have them. I really would. Thanks so much for anybody that would. And for those people that already have. So before we get to the topic today, I want to say a little bit about my absolute favorite topic, which is COVID and COVID vaccines. Um, I think it's important for people to understand the difference between getting COVID and having some immunity afterwards and getting the vaccine and having better immunity afterwards. Cause I, I do see people all day long that want to talk about this or don't want a vaccine because they've been sick and so forth. So here's the thing. If you get COVID, you develop antibodies to the COVID virus, the coronavirus. If you are then infected with the coronavirus, the antibodies that you have can attack the virus and can inactivate the virus. And basically, you, I want to say kill it, but you can't kill something that's not alive. So basically inactivate the virus and get rid of it. Once the virus infects the cell, your antibodies don't do you any good because the antibodies can't get into the cell. The antibodies are floating around in the plasma and in the fluid of your body, and they can take care of things that are not yet 
in the cell. But once they get into the cell and they basically inject their RNA into your cell, once that happens, the antibodies don't do you any good. So when you get a vaccine, you develop antibodies and you create memory cells, B cells and T cells. These are different types of white blood cells. And it took me a long time to learn that. And I certainly can't teach it during an office visit, but basically just take my word for it. You develop B cells and T cells and they're what's called memory cells. And they're called that because they produce antibodies to the virus when it's recognized. So if you're circulating antibody level falls and you get infected with coronavirus, you make new antibodies and you attack it and so forth. The difference is you have B cells and T cells in your cells. These are what, these are little cells that are in your cells that can take care of intracellular problems. And once this is, this happens, you can get much better immunity because you've got immunity against the virus. Once that genetic material is injected into your cells. So that's the biggest difference is that it's, it's a two-way form of, immun of immunity that's much more effective, much longer lasting. These B cells and T cells last a lot longer than circulating antibodies do. And so if you had COVID, get a vaccine. If you had COVID and you had no IV medicines at all, get a vaccine as soon as you feel better. If you got IV medicines, get a vaccine in 90 days. So today I want to talk about head and neck cancers. And this is not really a, a fun topic for anybody probably. And it came to me to talk about this because, as you might be able to tell, I'm hoarse. And I've been hoarse the better part of probably the last four months. I got uh, COVID in August. And not long after that, I was just hoarse and I stayed hoarse and I went to the ENT doctor because I was concerned about being perpetually hoarse. And he scoped me, ran a scope in my nose and down my throat and looked at my vocal cords and all kinds of stuff. And you can see it on the screen. It's pretty cool. And he said I was fine. And I, he put me on steroids and I got better. And then I got COVID again for a couple of days in December. And the, with Omicron, which must be what I had because I was only sick two days and it was not fun, but it wasn't terrible. I have had the most horrible quantity and quality of mucus you could ever imagine. And I went and see him, saw him again. And he scoped me and he said, you're just pouring mucus down your throat and on your vocal cords. Well, if it's that, that'll go away. I can live with that. People can understand me. It's okay. <clears throat> and you do a lot of that, by the way. But if it's not something like that, you could have a growth or something in your larynx, on your vocal cords, and so forth, that could be a problem. So the cancers that are known collectively as head and neck cancers usually begin in the squamous cells. So those are cells that line the mucosal surfaces of your head and neck all the way from the inside of your lips down to your voice box. And these cancers are referred to because they start in the squamous cell layer. They're called squamous cell cancers of the head and neck. They can also start in the salivary glands or in the sinuses. You hear about some strange things like that, and even some more bizarre locations, muscles and nerves and such. But these cancers are much less common than squamous cell cancers. Now, cancers in the head and neck can start in the mouth, the oral cavity. That can include the lips the front two-thirds of the tongue, 
the gums, the lining inside the cheeks, the floor, the bottom of the mouth, the hard palate, the bony part at the top of the mouth, or even the soft palate at the back towards your uvula, the little hangy down thing in the back of your throat. Uh, and, and so it can start any of those places. You can also have it start in the pharynx, and that's basically your throat. That's the hollow tube that starts behind your nose and goes down to your esophagus. And there are three parts of that that are unimportant, the nasopharynx, the oropharynx, and the hypopharynx, and that's just all part of your throat. But they can start anywhere in there. And then the voice box, and that's your larynx. That's the, vi- the vibra- vibrating part of your neck right in front that you can feel when you're talking. It's a short passageway that's got a piece of cartilage in there, and the vocal cords are there. And if you get what I had and you're lucky enough for it to just be mucus, then you just got irritated vocal cords, but you could easily have, if your hoarseness persists, some sort of growth in there. And then there's a piece of tissue in there called the epiglottis that moves to cover the voice box when you swallow. So food doesn't go down in your airway. So any of those things can have cancer start in them. So it's important to know and be aware of, any symptoms that you're having that might associate with those things. And also the salivary glands. I mentioned that the other day, uh, the major salivary glands are in the floor of your mouth down near your jawbone. And they of course produce saliva. And then there are other salivary glands that are under the jaw and other places. And so there are a lot of locations where you can end up with a squamous cell cancer in the head and neck. So if you do have, squamous cell cancer, squamous cell carcinoma, it's called, then if it's going to spread, it almost always spreads locally or to the lymph nodes in the neck. Now, typically squamous cell cancers don't spread from your neck to your bone or from your neck to your liver, that kind of thing. But sometimes squamous cell cancer cells can be found in the lymph nodes of the upper neck when there's no evidence of cancer in any other part of the head and neck. So you at some point had a cancer that that uh, traveled and, and spread somewhere else, and then it basically died away. But this is still a metastatic squamous cell cancer. That means one that has spread with what's called an occult primary, which means a primary that you don't know where it was or what it was exactly. Now, what causes cancers of the head and neck? Okay, so alcohol and tobacco use are big causes of that. Secondhand smoke, even smokeless tobacco, chewing tobacco, snuff, those things are very important risk factors, very important risk factors. And so if you're carrying a can of Copenhagen around in your back pocket, you need to try to stop that. And I'll tell you right now, that's not easy, but you need to try because it's a big risk. It's a big risk. People that use tobacco and alcohol are at much greater risk of developing these cancers than people who use either one alone even. Most head and neck cancers of the mouth and the voice box are caused by tobacco and alcohol. And it wouldn't be hard to imagine that we see more of those here in the southern part of the U.S. than you do elsewhere. Now, another thing that causes head and neck cancer, squamous cell cancer, is the human papillomavirus. It's a risk factor for oral cancers that involve the tonsils and the base of the tongue. And in the U.S., the incidence of oral pharyngeal cancers or mouth cancers caused by HPV infection is going up 
even though there's a vaccine for HPV that's been out for quite some time and is really very commonly distributed. It's a huge percentage of kids that should be getting it that are. And I think the big problem is we still aren't quite to the point where the people who have started getting that vaccine when it was first available are at the age where they would be developing head and neck cancer. So I think we're going to find in the next probably 15 years that these rates do start to come down. But right now they're still going up three quarters of the oral cancers that we see are caused by chronic HPV infection. Now, human papillomavirus is a virus that is transmitted by sex, by having sex. And basically the rule of thumb is that if you're sexually active, you have HPV period. It's that simple. If you're not, you can't have it because you have to get it by having sex. But if you've ever had sex, we assume you have HPV. That doesn't mean you have a problem from HPV. It just means you have HPV and you still should get the vaccine. The vaccine has been uh, the age at which can be, it can be given has been increased now up to about 45 years old. I think it is. So if you are concerned about this kind of thing, you've never had what's called Gardasil, the HPV vaccine. I highly encourage you to go get it. Uh, it's best to give it to kids before they become sexually active. So we try to give it to 11 year olds and so forth. But if you've never had it, it's worth doing. So there's some other things that can cause head and neck cancer, like occupational exposure, exposure to wood, wood dust. Wow. Wood dust. I've been doing a lot of woodworking. I think I need to wear my respirator more, John. Now that I think about it, because wood dust is a big risk factor and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. So if you're a woodworker, like I try to be, if you create a lot of wood dust, because I certainly do that, then you need to be careful about that. And then, of course, exposure to asbestos, which I don't think most people are going to get much exposure to that. And some synthetic fibers have also been associated with cancer of the voice box. And we're not sure exactly how long that kind of thing takes, but we do see that people working in some jobs, certain construction and metal and textiles and ceramics do have an increased uh, prevalence of head and neck cancer. So it's important to try to avoid those things when you can Radiation exposure, radiation causes head and neck cancer. And it's, in, it's important to know that. And you're not going to get much radiation exposure to your head and neck unless you're having radiation treatment. And everybody knows that one of the problems with treating people for cancer is other cancers emerge. And so you have to be on the lookout for that if you've ever had that. Epstein-Barr virus, that's the virus that causes mononucleosis. Uh, if, you've, if you have infection with Epstein-Barr, it's a risk factor for not only oral cancer, but cancer of the salivary glands. And so you want to be aware of that as well. And I'll tell you, it's a lot more likely to cause this than it is chronic fatigue syndrome because it's, it's, it's a, a common infection and it's not a common cancer due to EB virus, but it is a possibility. So you need to know about that. And then genetics. Uh, if you're of Asian ancestry, particularly Chinese ancestry, the risk factor, I mean, the, the prevalence of, nor of oral cancer and nasopharyngeal cancer is higher. You can't do anything about that except to be very aware. And if you find that you are having any hoarseness or symptoms or you find a lump, go get it checked. Again, for the 58th time in 68 episodes, I'll tell you, don't say those five most dangerous words in the English language, which are 
maybe it will go away. So you don't do that. You find something, you get it checked. If you feel something, say something. I stole that from Homeland Security, John. <laughs> You're so clever. So I am. So symptoms, what, what would you feel if you had head and neck cancer? Well, if you're lucky, you might feel a lump in your neck or a sore in your mouth. And that can be anywhere in your mouth. And you have to always be aware of the, the hard palate, the roof of your mouth. A lot of people don't check that. But if you have any concerns, be sure you check the top of your mouth as well. And if you have a, a lesion that doesn't heal, okay, most lesions in the mouth heal fairly quickly. But if you have one that doesn't heal, get it checked. Trouble swallowing a change in your voice or hoarseness, like I mentioned, these things you want to get, you want to get them checked. You want to go see somebody and honestly seeing a family doctor for something like this. In a lot of cases, we can check out your mouth. That's fine. But we cannot see in 99% of cases where it could be down in the back of your throat towards your, your voice box. We just can't see that. We don't have the equipment. We don't have the ability to do that. So you probably, if that persists, would need to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And in specific areas of the head and neck, if you had oral cancer, for example, you could have a, a white or pat a red patch on your gums, uh, on the tongue, the lining of the mouth, the cheeks, and so forth. Or if you have a growth or swelling of the jaw that makes your dentures, all of a sudden your dentures don't fit as well as they did. You need to get that checked. Or, of course, if you have bleeding that's unusual or unexplained in your mouth, you need to get that checked. If you have pain when you swallow, that's an important thing to know. It's an important thing to get looked into. Pain in the neck or the throat that just doesn't go away. Or if you have, uh, I mentioned earlier, a change in your voice. It might not be hoarseness, but someone else might even notice that your voice is just a little different than it was. And if that's the case, then you need to to get that checked as well. So head and neck cancers account for not a huge percentage, just probably three to five, call it 4% of cancers in the United States. But they're more than twice as common in men as they are in women. And they're also diagnosed more often among people over 50 than they are younger people. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, most cancers are in older people, so that makes sense. And people that have done research in this area say that, that more than 68,000 men and women in the United States were diagnosed with head and neck cancer last year. So it's not nobody by a long shot. And most of these people had either mouth or throat or voice box cancer. The sinuses, like I mentioned earlier on salivary glands, are much less common. So we are all about prevention anymore. We're doing everything we can to prevent all kinds of problems that we can. And, and people who are at risk of head and neck cancers, particularly people that use tobacco and particularly people who use smokeless tobacco should talk to your doctor about ways to try to stop. If you want to reduce your risk of head and neck cancer, stop putting that Copenhagen in your mouth, stop smoking, even pipes. People get oral cancer uh, and cancer on the lip from the heat of a pipe. So just don't do that. Just don't do that. If you avoid HPV infection in the mouth, you can reduce your risk of head and neck cancers. That's very clear. And in, I think it was June, a year and a half ago, the FDA did increase the ages 
of when people can get Gardasil up to 45 and down as low as nine years old. And I tell you, if you're a parent and you have children that are young and your pediatrician, family doctor, whoever you take them to recommends getting the Gardasil vaccine at age nine, 10, 11, whatever, please do that. There's no downside whatsoever to this vaccine. And it can really make a huge difference in preventing this kind of thing. It's just a, a very good vaccine. And we know that if we prevent HPV infection, we, we can prevent head and neck cancers in large numbers. So if you do get it, the treatment might include surgery. It frequently includes radiation, sometimes chemo, and sometimes even the new immunotherapies that you may have heard about. So there are many options, and I'll tell you, like most cancers, the treatment for this changes with the wind. There's so much research going on and so much being developed and new drugs and new protocols and things that the treatment that you start with might not even be the treatment protocol that you end with if you're, if you're dealing with head and neck cancer. The HPV-positive tumors have a much better prognosis and a higher chance of complete cure than those that are HPV negative. So, for example, if you get a tumor that's caused by HPV or your buddy gets a tumor that's caused by Copenhagen, you've got a good chance of being okay, much better chance than him, rather, of being okay. So the odds are in your favor, and they're still doing a lot of trials on this, trying to figure out what the best treatment is, but that's ongoing. And that's the thing about cancer research is it's all ongoing, and they're constantly trying to figure out, is this a little better, is this work a little better, and so forth. So if you do have, especially radiation, but if you have any treatment for head and neck cancer, you might have some, some complications or side effects from that treatment. And that's true for anything that you might do. So surgery can affect your ability to chew, swallow, or talk. And that has a lot to do with how advanced the cancer is when it's found, how long you said to yourself, maybe it will go away. But you And you might look different after surgery. We're talking about your head, talking about your face, and it certainly could leave things different from the way they were. If lymph nodes are removed, then the flow of lymph fluid from that area might be slowed, and you can swell. You can have what's called lymphedema. People are accustomed to seeing that in their feet, and you see it in women's arms after breast cancer surgery sometimes. So it, it can happen even in the head and neck. So it's important to remember that. And, you know, one of the things that has to be done on occasion is a laryngectomy where you, you remove the voice box completely. And they have some remarkable devices now to help people communicate when that happens. But it's a, a devastating thing, obviously. And I hope that just points towards the need to find this early. If you have radiation treatment, then you can count on having a dry mouth because the salivary glands are going to be radiated as well. And they'll be shrink, shrunken up and won't be as effective as it were. You can have trouble swallowing, and that's really in large part because of the dryness. Your taste can be different. You can have chronic nausea. So there's a lot of reasons there to try to avoid this. And I don't, I don't think there's a treatment out there for any form of cancer that's side effect free or complication free. And really, the people that I've seen that have had head and neck cancer and have had surgery or radiation or both have done extremely well for the most part. Not in every case, obviously, but it is something that you can have taken care of and you can go on with your life and it's not as devastating as it would be if you didn't find that cancer. So don't ignore your hoarseness. Don't ignore 
that lump. Don't ignore that change in your voice. If your wife says, you know, you just sound different, go get it checked. It's the easiest thing in the world. I mean, it, it takes no time. It takes less than five minutes once you get started in the office. So I encourage people to do that. And John, that's what I've got on head and neck cancers. That's really good information because that's not a cancer that most people think about. I guess if you're a user of tobacco products, you might think about it, but in general, it can be caused by, as you say, other causes other than tobacco. So it's, but it's not something most people think about. Yeah, it's, it's not. And everybody's had hoarseness and everybody's had a sore throat. And most of the time when you have that, you know, in a few days or a week or so, it's gone. It's better. But it, it's, it just really drives the point home that if there's a change in how you feel, how you look, how you've, how you've spoken, you need to be sure and get things checked out because it, it can't be devastating. And it doesn't take necessarily terribly long from the time you have symptoms to the time you have big trouble. So if you have symptoms, you need to get it checked. So if for folks out there that are tobacco users, is there some cadence on which they ought to get checked out? Um, if assuming they don't quit, which you recommend, yeah. of course, is, is there some cadence on which they ought to get checked out? Have, have their, uh, have, have an exam to make sure everything's okay. You know, not really. The, the problem with that is, getting that visit or that exam or that procedure paid for by insurance Uh, because we don't have a guideline in medicine that says if you use smoke or tobacco and you're 50, let somebody scope you and look because it doesn't happen often enough. You'd have to scope. I can't do that math. My sister could, you'd have to scope an awful lot of people to find one cancer and insurance companies are not going to do that. Um, We have the same problem with, trying to see if somebody has heart disease and that kind of thing. If they're not having symptoms, it's, it's a battle. What I would tell you is if you are doing tobacco, especially smokeless tobacco, stop, you know, find a way to stop. Come see me, come see one of our people. And let's talk about ways you might be able to stop. If you can't stop, then if you have any symptom, then I think you gotta be checked and any symptom will typically get you checked and get it covered by insurance. So any symptom, any symptom, any symptom, any symptom, any symptom folks get it. (laughs) Anything. Yeah. Um, so do you, you mentioned that come see you and you've got some suggestions on how to quit. Is there a particular way for folks that use, um, uh, I guess, uh, smokeless tobacco. Is there a particular way that's been people have found successful to quit? Not in large numbers. It's one of the hardest ones to what happened to my voice. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah. Got so deep. Yeah. I noticed that you went down an octave. <laughs> sound like, sound like a guy I used to work for Nick Peck. Um, anyway, um, there really aren't, terribly effective ways to get people to stop doing smokeless tobacco. It's harder even than people who smoke. Now we do have Chantix. Uh, Chantix is now generic, so it's easier to get. It's cheaper. 
Enchantix works for nicotine users, but you get so much nicotine from the oral stuff mm. that it's not as effective as it is for smoking. Um, so it, it, it's a battle. I mean, the first thing is you have to want to quit. You have to want to quit. Right. And if you don't want to quit, nothing on the planet is going to let you make you quit. Um, but if you do want to quit, I believe that you can do it with Chantix. So I, I think it's the thing to try. Got it. So I wanted to add to what you said about folks making suggestions on topics. Yeah. Um, it, it, folks, it doesn't have to be a big um, uh, 30 minute answer to your question. If you've got, uh, other questions you want, you want Dr. Moore to answer, feel free to let us know. We can, we can uh, address them in the, this little question segment we have at the end. So whatever you've got on your mind that you'd like to, uh, have him address. Uh, and if you tell us not to read your name on the air, we won't do it. No problem. So just, uh, let us know. Uh, we'd love to uh, be able to address whatever's on your mind. John, if, if we could come up with just 10 or 15 mm -hmm. questions people have, we could do a whole podcast on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I always wanted to do a call-in radio show, and that would be the closest thing we could get to it in this setting. I don't think you really want to do that. <laughs> I, yeah, you said that before. <laughs> yeah. I, th I said that before the pandemic and the vaccine, and I think it's even more so now, okay? So – that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. We <laughs> won't do that. Yeah. But send us your questions and we'll try to turn that into a podcast. And I would love it. And I just appreciate you listening. Uh, I know I always have one listener every week at least. So that's good. That's good. Um, so for now, that is to your health.